Well, I can tell you it's good to be back. It's good to be back in Sioux Falls, and it's good to be back at Cross Point. So thank you for praying for us while we were gone. And I can just take, I think, a minute or a minute and a half and tell you what our life was like. We were out of town for five weeks. We, um, for four years in a row, we have volunteered with a Christian organization called The Navigators. Their headquarters is in Colorado Springs. It's a non-denominational evangelical Christian organization. They have a ministry in 119 countries around the world, 5,000 missionaries on staff, very evangelical. But their headquarters is in Colorado Springs. And four years ago, five years ago, we volunteered to go there and work. I was, had just retired, but that retirement didn't work out. So our daughter still wonders what part of retirement does dad not understand? So we're still busy. But we volunteered to work there the whole month of August. And so we've done that four years in a row. The conference center is called Glen Erie, and I feel bad that I don't have a picture. Next week, I'll bring a picture of Glen Erie. Glen Erie, what makes it so special, it's uh, 800 acres right next, snuggled right next to the Rocky Mountains. And it's the... Uh, home estate of a guy named William Jackson Palmer. He's the guy that founded Colorado Springs in 1871. And as his home estate, he set aside this 800-acre, the most beautiful property in the United States. And there are constantly bighorn sheep that come down the mountain onto the property. And there are wild turkeys. And there's, the last couple of years, there's been a bear there causing problems. But it's a conference center. And... Uh, William Jackson Palmer was a brigadier general in the Civil War. And uh, so he built, he was also in, in the, a railroad man, and so he built a 67-room castle on his property. 67 rooms, 22, and one of the things I do is give tours of the property. So you can come and sign up, and, and we take 25 people at a time. They all pay $10, and... And it's a tour that lasts 90 minutes. I did about 15 of those while we were there. We do a variety of things. Uh, two days we worked in the dining room helping wherever we needed help. I mow the lawn around the apartment building where we live. There's uh, five or six hotels on the property. And what makes them so special is that you can't see any of the other ones from the one you're in because of the big pine trees and the mountains. There's conferences, there's between 1,000 and 1,500 guests that come on the property every week. There's a full kitchen, dining room that's over, uh, the guy that oversees that is a five-star chef, and it's the best food in Colorado Springs. Um, and they let us, in exchange for our work, we get um, three meals a day and a place to stay, and we've always stayed in the same apartment for four years in a row. And this year, I can tell you, it was busy. They've got a new marketing manager. In fact, I pointed that out to our boss. I said, you must have somebody new in marketing because they have never been as busy as they were when we were there. If there's a, we do different things. We serve as host and hostess. They have assigned us seven of all the hotel rooms on the property. They've assigned us seven premier rooms. They are the best rooms on the property. And Sharon and I serve as hostess, host and hostess to the guests that stay in those seven rooms. And uh, if they need anything special, they knock on our door and we'll help them get whatever they need. Let's see that. We mow the lawn. We do tours. We work in this. So we work as host and hostess for marriage retreats. If uh, 
which happen every two or three weeks there on the property. And if you come with your husband or wife to a marriage retreat, we're the first people you see. And you're stuck with us for the first two or three hours. And we make you feel good with a bunch of candy and pop and coffee. And, and then we pass the baton and the retreat leaders take you away for two or three days. We absolutely love it. We absolutely fall in bed every night between 8.30 and 9 o'clock. If there's a downside to it, and there is no downside because we could quit if we don't like it. We're there, we do it for free. We're serving the Lord by serving the guests at Glen Erie. If there's a downside, the thing that makes us tired is that we work 31 days in a row. There's no day off. 31 days in a row, we're up at 6 o'clock and we are up till 8.30 or 9 or 9.30 every night. And it, and it gets tiring. But uh, we're glad to do it and they've already invited us to come back next year. So next August, I'll be gone. And Sharon's going with me, so... Um, that's enough. Next week, Sharon's going to remind me to bring a picture and show you where it is that we're, we spend that month. But it's good to be back. Right now, I'd like you to take out your notebook. We're all about taking notes and working our way through the scriptures. Take your notebook and take your Bible and open your Bible to Mark chapter 10. We are now, we are now in our 10th week of working our way through the 16 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. Now, our primary goal, let's understand this, because I'm going to say this again and again and again. Our goal, our primary goal is not to get through the Gospel of Mark. That's not our goal. Our goal is to get the Gospel of Mark through us. That's two entirely different things. And our goal, our secondary goal, is to study a chapter each week before we move on to the next chapter. We have reminded ourselves multiple times that there are four or maybe five key principles in the Gospel of Mark that show up one after the next, after the next, time and time again. Number one, Jesus is not just a good man. He's the Son of the living God. Number two, because Jesus is the Son of God, He has the power to perform miracles. Number three, Jesus does not do ministry alone. He taught, trained, encouraged, and recruited what we call our disciples. His disciples are in ministry with him. The obvious reason for this is if the gospel is going to continue to advance to the ends of the earth, and Jesus is going to go back to heaven, who is going to be involved in the ministry? It's no different than it is here at Cross Point. Ministry doesn't just happen. It takes leaders. It takes people who are committed to advancing the gospel to other people. And the fourth thing that we've talked about time and time again is Jesus loved to teach in parables. Down-to-earth stories. He teaches in a way that's down-to-earth so that we can easily understand it. And yet, behind this story, there's always this heavenly meaning. Now for this morning, you're already in Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at a paragraph that starts in verse 46. Mark 10, and I'm going to read verses 46 through 52. And I just want to say this before I begin. If you have your Bibles open, that's great. If you have your telephone open to Mark chapter 10, that's great. I'm going to read half a dozen verses, and I want you to do this. I want you to listen carefully. Okay? Verse 46. And they came to Jericho. 
And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now let's turn to another passage. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, I'm going to read verses 29 to 34. If you want to keep one hand in Mark 10, that's great. Matthew 20, I'm going to read beginning in verse 29, and I'm going to say the same thing now that I said a minute ago when I was reading from Mark 10. Now when I read Matthew 20, I want you to do this. Listen carefully. Do you still remember? You still got the other story in your head? Listen to this. Verse 29, and as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him, and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me To do for you. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. If you can do this, keep one hand in Mark chapter 10. Keep one hand. How many hands do you have? Keep one hand in Mark 10. Keep the other hand in Matthew 20. And with the... You don't need a hand. Use your foot. Turn with me to Luke 18. Luke 18. In your Bibles or in your phone or on your iPad, Luke 18. I'm going to begin reading a short passage beginning in verse 35. And I want you to do this. Do you have those other two stories in your head? Just say yes. Okay, good. Listen carefully. Luke 18, verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me 
to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now, over the years, I've observed... I didn't read this in a book. I've just observed this after 30 or 35 years of ministry. There's two things that I've observed among Christians about the way they read the Bible. Okay? Just my personal observation. Number one, we do not read the Bible nearly as often as we say we read it. And we do not read the Bible as often as we think we read it. That's number one. Personal observation, we don't read the Bible as often as we say we read it, and we don't read it as often as we think we read it. And number two, here's the other thing I've observed, when we read it, when we do read it, we read too fast. Okay? Now in Mark 10, beginning in verse 46, we are again reminded of one of the principles that Mark uses time and time again in his gospel. Jesus, here's the principle, Jesus, because he is the Son of God, he has the power to perform miracles. Now, here's where I'm at in life. When I read these three passages, Mark 10, Matthew 20, and Luke 18, when I read those three paragraphs individually, forget the other two, when I read them one at a time, If I'm reading these for my devotions, I want God to speak to me. I want him to show me what he wants to apply, what he wants me to apply to my life based on those five or six verses. That's how I would read that. That's when I read them separately. But when I read these three passages together, like we did this morning, wow, I have some questions. Here's my first question. Are all three of these stories the same story? Or are there two different stories? Or are there three different stories? Matthew. Matthew tells us there were two blind men, but he doesn't give us any names. Luke tells us there was one blind man, but he doesn't give us a name. Mark says there's one blind man, and he tells us that this guy's name is Bartimaeus. So one of my questions, was there one blind man, or were there two blind men, and is this the same story, or is this two stories, or is this three stories? I think it's the same story. I think there were two men, both of them were blind, and they're sitting beside the road, but Luke and Mark are only focused on telling us the story of one man, while Matthew focuses on the fact that there were two men sitting beside the road. Here's my second question that goes through my mind. Mark tells us that as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, they met a blind man named Bartimaeus. That happens as they're leaving Jericho. Matthew says that as Jesus and his disciples were going out of Jericho, they met two blind men. And Luke says as they were getting near to Jericho, 
they met a blind man. So were they leaving? Or were they getting near? Now this second question is easier to answer than that first question back there. The answer to the question, were they leaving Jericho or getting near Jericho? I've got the answer. Yes. They were doing both. At the time Jesus walked the earth, there were actually two Jerichos. There, were the, there was the old Jericho, the ancient city of Jericho, the, the one that Joshua marched around. Do you remember that story in Joshua chapter 6? That was probably 16 or 17th century B.C. That's the old Jericho. And the ruins, at the time Jesus is walking the earth, the ruins are still there. Then there's the new Jericho, the city that has been rebuilt multiple times. This particular one that was there when Jesus was walking the earth was built by some guy named Herod the Great. Now there's a lot of Herods, right? I mean, there's Herod and, you know, my brother Herod and his brother Herod and my nephew Herod. And anyway, there's a lot of Herods. But this, this particular one that built the new Jericho, this is the Herod that was in power when the Magi arrived and said they were looking for the newborn king. Remember that story? And then Herod has his power and he goes out and gives the order that all the little babies, boys, two years old and younger, are all going to be killed. Well, since the time when Joshua destroyed the city of Jericho, it has been rebuilt. At this point, it had been rebuilt multiple times. But at the time when Jesus walked the earth, the most recent reconstruction of Jericho was the one that took place under Herod the Great. Now think about this with me. Herod the Great, it doesn't say this in your Bible, you have to go online or maybe you've got it in your study notes. Herod the Great ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. You got that? He ruled, he was in power, he was the guy from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. He's the guy that's in power. When the Magi show up and say, we're looking for the newborn king, he died in 4 B.C. So there's no way Jesus was born in the year zero or one. Just get that out of your head. And the problem with that is, the people who created the calendar, we were two or three centuries past the birth of Jesus before they realized they were off by four or five years. You can't go back and start over again. So Jesus was born, the, the latest he could have been born was 4 B.C. because that was the last year that Herod the Great was in power. He may have been born in 5 B.C. or even 6 B.C. He began his ministry in 30 A.D. Some people think he began his ministry in 27 A.D. and was crucified in 30. Some people believe he began his ministry in 30 and was crucified in 33. But since I'm the one that's preaching this morning, I get to pick. And I say he started in 30 and was crucified in 33. Now, if he was born in 4 B.C. and he died in 33 A.D., that means he was 37 years old when he died. 
there are people who say, well, he died when he was 30. I had somebody tell me one time he died when he was 30 and he was exactly six feet tall, exactly six feet tall, and he's the only man that's ever walked the earth that was exactly six feet tall. I don't know where they get that. So the point is, when Jesus and his disciples are involved in ministry, this new Jericho is probably 30 or 40 years old, okay? This new Jericho is situated between the Jordan River and Jerusalem. And as people walk along the road, it would have been possible, here's the answer to this question, as people are walking along this road, this highway, it would have been possible to leave, to walk right past and leave the ruins of the old Jericho as you're entering the new Jericho. So were they entering or leaving? Yes, they were doing both. Now, there's still another interesting thing about this story before we really get to the meat of it. Of all the stories, I want you to just think for a minute of all the stories of miraculous healings in the Gospels. Okay, we've got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is a little bit different than the other three. We're not going to talk in depth on that. It's just a little bit different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar. Some people refer to Matthew, Mark, and Luke as the synoptic Gospels. It's just a big fancy word that means the same thing as similar. Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are similar. John, yeah, it's still similar, but it's a little bit different. Of all the miraculous healings that Jesus performs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the story of Bartimaeus is unique. Because he is the only person healed in the Synoptic Gospels whose name is given. He's the only one. All the other people who are healed by Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Bartimaeus is the only one whose name is used. The leper in Matthew 8 has no name. Well, I suppose he's got a name, but we don't know what it is. The deaf man in Matthew 9 has no name. The paralyzed man in deaf day, Matthew chapter 9, he's got no name. The daughter in Matthew 9 who's brought back to life... No name. The centurion servant in Luke 7. No name. The widow's son who's brought back to life in Luke 7. No name. The woman who was bleeding for 12 years in Luke chapter 8. She has no name. The man with the paralyzed hand in Mark 3. No name. Of all the miracles performed by Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Bartimaeus is the only, and he is the only, only person mentioned by name. And there's one more thing that causes me to study and wonder and try and find answers to this thing. There's another thing that's unique to this miracle. There are two times in the Gospel of Mark, there are two times and there are only two times in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is identified as being from Nazareth while he's performing a miracle. Let me say that again. There's, only, there's two times in the Gospel of Mark, and there's only two times in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus is identified as being from Nazareth while he's performing a miracle. The first one, I don't know which hand you've got free anymore, but turn to Mark 
chapter 121, or just listen as I read the passage. Mark 121, as they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and no name, by the way. And he cried out, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's the first time. The second time is the one for today. In Mark 10, verse 46 and 7. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with the disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, He began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. It is not a coincidence that Mark chapter 121 is the first miracle recorded in Mark's gospel. And in that miracle, Mark tells us that Jesus is from Nazareth. And it's not a coincidence in Mark chapter 10 that Mark tells us that Jesus, while he's performing the miracle, is from Nazareth. It's almost as though... Mark uses these two miracles as bookends because there are no more miracles now in the Gospel of Mark. It's almost as though he he includes this Jesus of Nazareth in the first miracle and in the last miracle just to remind us, just to sort of put his arms around everything that happens here. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is his last trip. When he gets there this time, he's going to be crucified. And as he travels to Jerusalem, he passes through Jericho some 20 miles. Let's see if we can get this. 20 miles north and east of Jerusalem. Out out beyond Brandon. But that from here to there could be 20 miles to Brandon. It's out there someplace. And as he's passing through Jericho, a blind beggar calls to Jesus. The blind man's name is Bartimaeus. Mark tells us that he's sitting by the road. Verse 47 says, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have have mercy on me. Now, let's just go down this road just for a little ways. Grace and mercy are often confused. And many times, most of us will use one word in place of the other, and then the next day we'll use the other word in place of the other one, and it's almost as though the words mean the exact same thing. But they don't really mean the exact same thing. There's a fine line. Let me take one Let me take 30 seconds and see if I can explain it. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. In Mark chapter 10, 47, Bartimaeus is asking Jesus for mercy. Bartimaeus knows he's a sinner and he knows that he deserves hell. But he's asking Jesus for mercy. He's asking Jesus to give him. He's asking Jesus to not give him what he deserves. 
Not to be blind in that first century. That was a whole different story than being blind in 2019. To be blind at the time of Jesus was considered to be a sin. You, you either had to have done something, or maybe it was your parents who did something, but somebody did something and you ended up blind. Do you remember the story in John chapter 9? Who sinned, this man or his parents? Remember that? That's the theology back then, and it's all bad theology. It has nothing to do with whether or not somebody sinned. It just Bartimaeus was also a beggar. He was blind and he was a beggar. And because of that, he was considered some kind of a second-class citizen. And he would always, from that moment on, he and if he had a family, everybody in his family would be considered as second-class, unacceptable people. And in verse 51, Jesus said to him, and here's where we're going to bring this to a close. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you. Now, Jesus had asked the question, if you're in Mark chapter 10, it's just, if we're reading the chapter, it's just like two minutes ago. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, Jesus asked the same question to James and John. Verse 35 says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus asked the same question to Bartimaeus that he had just asked to James and John. But there's a difference here. Bartimaeus isn't asking to sit at Jesus' right hand in heaven. He's not asking for that. He just wants to see That's all he wants. He wants to see Jesus. Verse 52 says, And immediately he received his sight and followed him. One commentary I read this last week said that this, when it says, and he followed, and in the gospel that talks about the two blind men, it says they both followed. They followed Jesus. It means that Bartimaeus, it probably means that Bartimaeus joined with the other disciples in accompanying Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. Now, he was never one of the 12 disciples. But you know, the Gospels talk about other times. There was 120 at one point disciples, and there were 70 disciples at one point. Bartimaeus and the other blind men could have both very well been part of that group. And the reason that Bartimaeus' name was remembered and recorded probably means, although we can't prove it, it probably means that he did become a disciple. Now this morning, before you go home, I'm asking you this question. What do you want Jesus to do for you? I'm not asking you what you want Jesus to do for somebody else. Seems like so many times when we take prayer requests, we're always pointing out that somebody else needs prayer. But this morning, the question is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you want Jesus to help you develop a new spiritual discipline? Do you want Jesus to forgive you of some sin or help you get rid of a sinful habit? Do Do you really want him to help you? And if so, when was the last time you asked him to help you? You want Jesus to help you forgive someone for something they did to you. 
Have you ever asked Jesus to help you come up with the, all those emotions and those prayers? And did, have you ever asked Jesus to help you forgive someone else for what they did? You want Jesus to help you share the gospel with someone who right now is on their way to hell? And if so, what's that person's name? Do you want him to help you be more faithful in church attendance? Do you want him to help you be more faithful in reading the Bible? Do you want Jesus to help you show more love to others, especially those who don't seem like they want to love us back? So the question is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? So let's just take one minute, and I want you to think about that. What do you want Jesus to do for you? We're not going to answer the question out loud, but I, I hope before you leave this room, you will answer that question. If you're keeping track of chapter titles, my suggestion for Mark chapter 10 would be, what do I want Jesus to do for me? And then in verse 46 or 47, I would underline that phrase. Next week... We're going to be on Mark chapter 11. So if you have time between now and next Sunday, I would encourage you to read Mark chapter 11. Let's close in a word of prayer and let's ask the ushers to come and take this morning's offering. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you would uh, encourage each one of us to take something from this paragraph and apply it to our life so that we would leave here today different than when we walked in the door. Whatever that situation is in our life, we are asking for your help. And I ask, Lord, that you would grant both mercy and grace in our lives as we extend mercy and grace to the people around us. We thank you for this offering we're about to receive. We thank you for each gift and each giver. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.